Welcome to the Be Brave podcast, where ordinary, badass, brave women speak their stories of courage and strength. We hope that by hearing the struggles and successes of women just like you, it will help you be brave. Please note that the Be Brave podcast does cover adult topics that include overcoming adversity in areas of sexual abuse, addiction, depression, and other difficult experiences. back and our guest today is Paige Tucker. So I'm going to read a little bit about Paige and some of it is going to come from the article in the Tampa Bay Times by Jay Cridlin. I want to give him props for the article he wrote, which is how I found Paige. Paige Tucker was 23 when she decided to start her first company, a social media marketing firm. She put together a plan. She got close to starting and then nothing. She had a business plan. She had her first client secured, and then fear took over. She thought to herself, there's no way I can do this. How can I pay my bills, live my life off my own company? There's just no way. Now we fast forward 10 years. Paige is an author, a brand coach, a motivational speaker, the owner of Be Your Best You LLC, which is a coaching and marketing consulting agency with a mission to help entrepreneurs grow their businesses promote their brand identity, and share their brand stories. She is the author of the book, hashtag single season, discovery how to be your best you while you're single. Here we go, Des. Paige holds a degree in medicine, health, and society from Vanderbilt University in Nashville, Tennessee, and a master's in human services from Southeastern University in Lakeland, Florida. She is a certified adult and youth mental health first aid instructor, and holds a diversity and inclusion certificate from Cornell University. She currently serves as the president of the board of directors for Life Empowerment and Development Skills, Florida. In her free time, Paige volunteers in her community through various organizations, mentoring youth, reading, cooking, and spending time with friends and family. She most of all loves traveling. She enjoys seeing the world and immersing herself in different cultures. Welcome, Paige. Hello. I'm so happy to be here. We're happy to have you. Yes, Paige. Welcome to the Be Brave podcast. We're real excited to hear how you overcame your fear. But first, I want to read to you a quote that we read to all of our guests by Brene Brown. We give Brene Brown credit for this quote. One day you will tell your story of how you've overcome what you're going through now, and it will become part of someone else's survival guide. So we appreciate all of these brave women like yourself coming on this podcast and providing a survival guide for someone who's going through something you went through, which I think what you went through is so common, so common with women and and women in business. And I see it myself. So here you were, 23 years old, which kudos to you for being so young and wanting to go out on your own and and just knowing that you could do it because you knew it. You set up your LLC, you had a business plan, you had a client, you knew you could do that. But then that little gremlin of fear came into your head and started talking to you and was telling you, according to that article that Kara just read to us, like, how are you going to pay your bills? How are you going to do this? I want to know, Paige, from you, what that fear gremlin was really saying to you. I think it was really saying, who do you think you are? The funny thing is I... I had no one around me that was a business owner, or I would say, I think people had like hobbies and side hustles, like people always do that. But in terms of like having an official business, and this is how they make their income, I didn't really have any examples of that. So then I'm like, who am I to think that I could do something like that? And um, during that time, I didn't have, I was new here. I came to Florida sight unseen, no family, no friends. Um, I only had really the people that I worked with. And I mean, they weren't interested in entrepreneurship. So I really had no one to say, hey, you can do this. You know, I think I would tell like my family and they're like, oh, yeah, great. But I don't think they really believed in me either. (laughs) So I really had no one there to like 
tell me I could do it. And I had no examples of what that looks like. So like now and I'm so grateful to have so many examples, but then I did not. And social media was still becoming like a thing. And I saw that. I saw how social media and I kicked myself every time because I'm like, oh, I could I could have been a millionaire by now because I saw what so many other people did not see. And I think that was my biggest fear was, well, I see that social media can be used for a marketing tool, but how many people will actually pay me to do that? And um, the answer is many people would pay me to do that. (laughs) That's the answer. But I just didn't have the resources that I needed. I mean, I had the professional resources in terms of like the Greenhouse St. Pete and places like that. But in terms of just having those mentors and people in my corner, I just didn't have that. And so when it's sometimes when it's just you, it's scary. Yeah. Right. So you're saying it was just you that you saw this trend that you thought would be this big thing, kind of like Bitcoin. Who knew Bitcoin was going to, you know, grow and become so valuable? And so a lot of people aren't those first adopters. Right. So I, I love what you said, though. Who am I? So I think that sometimes when we have fear, it, sh- it shows up as fear, but it's really underlying belief system about ourselves. Can you talk about that? Because I know you talk about that to the women you coach now. Yes, man. So I so I've been a high achiever my entire life. And when I say my entire life, like my entire life, I've been a high achiever. But I always tried to be very humble. And I think in my attempt to be humble, I have sold myself short. Yes. Because I don't want to come off as a know-it-all. I don't want to come off as brilliant. I don't want to come off as amazing because I'm trying to think about how others would see me and what others would think. And, oh, I I, I don't want to, I I just want to be humble. But I feel like there's a, a certain level of humility that can be toxic because we completely sell ourselves short and then we start to second guess ourselves. So for me... I know that anything I put my mind to, I can do that. But in that moment, it was like, well, I mean, who am I that I'm going to break this generational curse in my family and I'm going to do something different and I'm going to be the example. And so it was just that level of insecurity and that fear of actual success because I knew deep down inside, if I did it, it was going to be successful because anything that I do (laughs) has some level of success, but I didn't have that same confidence then. And so it was just kind of like, I don't think I should do this. I don't know if I should do this, but I'm also really grateful for the detour because there are so many things I needed to learn. And there's a level of maturity that I had to attain to be able to be a successful business and still be doing it. I love that. What you said about being humble and you, you can get to a point where it's toxic for you because you're not, you don't, you don't have to sing from the rooftop how great you are. But, and I think this is another female thing too, like women who are boisterous, I think aren't, it's not a flattering thing when men do it. It's kind of like, oh, either, either it is flattering the way they do it, or it's just, oh, you know, well, men do that, or he does that, or, you know, whatever it is. But we do need to speak up about the things that we are good at and the things that we know. And it can be frustrating because I've, I've, had this experience myself where I knew the fact that I, what I was talking about and the fact that I was saying, and I was getting pushback. I'm like, no, you don't understand. This is accurate. I mean, you could look it up, but I'm telling you what's accurate, but why do I have to explain myself? Why can't somebody just believe me right away? Right. Exactly. Yeah. I'm still, I'm still learning. I'm still learning to toot my own horn and be my biggest cheerleader. Because it's that fear of making someone else feel insecure. And I mean, quite frankly, now I don't care. I know that sounds bad, but it's like, I don't care. That's their (laughs) issue. If your success and what you know makes somebody else insecure, that's their insecurity. They need to build themselves up too. Yes. And so I I finally had to really start to just tell tell my story. Like, I, I feel like I still haven't even told the entire story for people to see like, oh, these are all the things that you've overcome and you don't look like that? Like, no, I don't. (laughs) All right, then spill it, Paige. We want to hear the story. Come on, Paige. Oh, man, it's such a long story. We'll be here all day. That's right. We have an editor. (laughs) And I think 
part of it, I want you to, I want you to definitely tell us your story about your generational curse. Yeah. So I, wow, this is my first time really sharing my story in public. So I may cry. <laughs> That's okay. We have tissues. So I was uh, born to a teen mom, uh, teen parents, and uh, my father went to prison when I was like 18 months. My mom didn't finish high school. Um, my grandparents ended up uh, taking me with them to Alabama when I was like six months. And then my mom like followed and that kind of like resulted in her not finishing high school. And then my mom had like two more kids by the time it's by the time she was 21. So she had me at 17 and then she had two more kids. And then we just kind of moved back and forth between South Carolina and Alabama, just back and forth. And then uh, when my mom was 26, she had my sister. And I just remember that whole thing of like having these conversations at seven years old with my mom and her being like, one day I'm like, mom, you've been eating a lot. Like, what's, what's, what's going on? And she's like, she told me she was pregnant. I was like, oh, I have to go tell our grandfather. She's like, no, don't tell him. And she was saying how she wasn't going to keep my sister and all these things. And I just remember being seven years old, like, I don't know, somehow having the language to like tell my mom, like, don't give my sister over. How I had that language, I have no idea. Wow. Did you have a close relationship with your other two siblings? It was more kind of like their mom <laughs> at seven, eight. It was like being their mom. Okay. And so, and it's something my brother just brought up the other day, but I mean, I remember just being nine years old, caring for three children. Wow. Under the age of five. Um, my sister was like one and my brother and sister were like, they had to be like four and five or something like that. What was your mom doing? Working sometimes. Sometimes she was just being a young mom. <laughs> Just going out, having fun with friends, doing different things. And I just remember always being, having to be the responsible one and being like a mom to my siblings. And um, I have a great aunt, my grandmother's sister. And I just remember every time, like, you know, I would go to her house. That's when I got to be a kid. Oh. Because yeah. before I just had to, you know, keep it together. I had to be there for my siblings and protect them and do all these different things. And um, so... I think now I play a lot and I joke a lot because I didn't get to be a kid. I had to grow up really fast. I had to be responsible really fast. I did move in with my grandparents uh, when I was 11, which was great. At least I thought. But I felt like they had their own level of issues where it was like, you know, just being able to be financially stable or just mentally and emotionally stable. So that uh, while I wasn't being physically abused in no way, shape or form, I felt like it still came with its own level of like toxicity and emotional abuse in different ways. And so I just always remember growing up being like, there's no way this is my family. <laughs> like, No way this is my family. Like I definitely was adopted as a kid. I had to be adopted. <laughs> there's no way this is my family. Always using education as my escape. So I always was a high achiever. If there was such thing as a valedictorian in elementary school, that was me. Yeah. <laughs> I was the person that they chose to be the, the speaker. I was valedictorian in high school. I ended up receiving a full scholarship to Vanderbilt University. Wow, that's awesome. Huge. And even back then, that was still like a $200,000 scholarship. And so being able to like be that person in my family where most people either, they, I mean, they may have graduated from high school, but most people didn't go to college or maybe tried, but they didn't graduate. So to be able to attain that and say like, I have to make it through. And then just going through all of those challenges in college of having to depend on myself. I don't come from a rich family. So I had to work so hard. My friends used to laugh at me and they're like, you work like you have five kids and a husband to take care of. <laughs> Just like, but I have to take care of myself. Like, you know, I have to pay my own bills. And when summer comes, I have to find a way to be able to, you know, take care of myself and all these different things. So I've just always had to be, since I was 15, I started working at 15. I started in the summertime. I was already working 40 hours a week. Um, they allow you to do that during the summer. And then at one point I was working two jobs. So it's like, I've always been like, okay, I have to be the, the constant in my life. I have to be responsible. I'm the only person I can depend on. Mm -hmm. So going to college and almost getting to the point of graduation and getting into an abusive relationship to the point where I almost did not graduate college. And um, so I, my last semester, I had to take 22 hours 
I had a, a job and a full-time internship and I still graduated and I made the Dean's List. So talk about diversity. That is amazing. Because <laughs> um, I was like, I'm not staying here another semester. I have to graduate. And then moving to Florida, sight unseen, no family, no friends. Um, I was in AmeriCorps Vista. I literally was only making $840 a month for an entire year. But somehow, well, I, I, I'm, I'm a woman of faith. So through the grace of God, I was able to live in a luxury apartment <laughs> with a roommate. And uh, we definitely were, had to get food stamps because we were in this program to end poverty. And so in order to, I guess the concept is in order to end poverty, you have to live in poverty because we definitely were living in, in poverty financially. But that taught me the importance of just being resourceful in community and being able to learn how to try to connect with people. So it was during that time, I was a community relations specialist. It was during that time that I discovered the power of social media. And that's where I decided, okay, I want to start a business and I can I can do something different. But it took me going through all of those things for that to happen. And then again, I also got into a relationship and I feel like sometimes, especially when you're young, Getting into a relationship, it changes your your ambition because now it's like I have this other person now. I don't have to work as hard, and so now as a as a older adult, not older, but you know, like in my thirties, I now discourage young people <laughs> from getting into committed relationships too early because I think it it gives us a false sense of comfort, and then we don't push as hard for our dreams. Like I think if I wasn't in that relationship, I definitely would have continued with trying to build my business regardless of what the adversity looks like. But when you have that kind of extra, it's like, oh, well, I do want to be a mom. I want to be a wife. So maybe this isn't the path for me. Because sometimes as women, we feel like we have to choose. Mm -hmm. And so now I work so hard in helping people to overcome the things that they've gone through because I believe like you don't have to look like what you've gone through. Right. So I don't wear the abuse that I experienced as a child. Um, I don't wear that as a badge of honor. It's just part of my story to shape who I am. But it makes me a better advocate. I don't call myself a survivor of domestic or a victim of domestic abuse. I'm a survivor. But it also makes me an advocate. So when people, when someone's in that situation and people don't understand the cycle of abuse and, well, why would you keep going back? Then I can say, well, hey, I was there. As confident as I am now, <laughs> I wasn't always this person. Because I have to say, a lot of the things I went through as a kid really affected my insecurity. Because it's like, well, if my parents don't love me in the manner that I think parents should, why would the world do that? Why would anyone else do that? Like, you know, and so that really did a number on my my self-esteem, especially like trying to, after my father got out of prison when I was 13, trying to build a relationship with him, but then watch him like start a new family and have new kids and then being able to grow up in the house with him and me feeling like <laughs> the outsider. And I felt like that influenced so many things too, in terms of like how I saw myself, what I you know, thought about myself. And so it took, it took me missing that opportunity, being super dissatisfied with my life, being super depressed, super, super depressed. And I just remember at 26, having, I guess, a quarter life crisis. I was on the phone with my grandfather and I was just like crying my eyes out. And I was like, I did everything right. And I hate my life. I didn't get pregnant as a teen. I graduated from college. I have a career and my life is terrible. I'm depressed all the time. I, I feel like I'm missing out on something. You know, I'm still working so hard because I'm so afraid of financial insecurity. So I work, 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 and I have no life. And my grandfather was like, even though you, even though you did everything right, you don't take any positive risk. Like literally color within the lines and there's no outside of the lines for you. And it was that conversation happened in August and in November of 2016, I'll never forget it. I um, was working two jobs. So I had a, a full-time and a part-time because once again, I'm trying to stay financially responsible and secure. 
And I started a jewelry business. Um, So paparazzi jewelry is still pretty famous now. And so I started it way back when, like when there were only like maybe 60,000 consultants. So very early on. And I remember getting my kit, coming up with a name and doing all of these things and being afraid because I had never sold anything. I never had any interest in entrepreneurship at all. But that was that life-changing moment. You know how everyone have those life-changing moments? Mm-hmm. That was the life-changing moment for me to do something I was have never done before and that I could actually fail. And I did it. And within two weeks, I had made more money through that business than I did at my part-time job. So I just quit. And I was like, <laughs> even though this can fluctuate and that's a guaranteed check, I have to do something different. I have to step out on faith. And that was the best leap of faith I could have ever taken in my life. Wow. Because it opened the door to all of this. And I never knew that $5 jewelry could <laughs> literally change my life. It gave you a taste of entrepreneurship. It did. In a way, I guess it's, I don't know if it's a franchise. I know you're, you're a consultant, right? For somebody else who owns the business, but still it is your, you're managing your own portion of that business. Exactly. You're able to brand it how you want. And, you know, and so when I started, it's like, oh, I'll just sell jewelry. And then people started, cause I was not, I'm, I don't beg people to do anything like ever. So I'm like, I don't want to like have a team because I don't want to ask people to be on my team. And I didn't have to. People called me like, hey, I see you're doing well. I want to be on your team. And it's like, sure. So (laughs) then that led to me having a large team that led to my commissions matching my annual salary at my job. And then giving me this level of financial stability that I didn't even know I could attain at, I don't know, I think it was just only like 28 times, which led me being able to buy my first home. And, you know, now I'm doing like all of these things that I didn't think I could do. And so that happened. And then I got to the point where I was miserable at my job. And I started another, my current business, I started on a whim, literally. I had just gotten my certification in mental health first aid. I was doing an an interview and I wanted to separate myself from my job. So I didn't want to mention my job at all in the interview. And they're like, well, who are you? I'm like, well, I'm the CEO of Be Your Best You. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, why did you say that? Like, these people are going to go and they're going to look me up and they're not going to find anything. And I'm like, well, I heard you can get an LLC in three days. Let me go apply. <laughs> I apply for LLC. I get like a landing page for my website, like create a logo, do all of this stuff that the article never came out. Oh, that's awesome. But I had met someone at the same event and she called me. And literally two days after I filed for my LLC, I got my first client. And I was like, I have a client. I don't even really know what I do. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I can do mental health first aid. That's what she wanted me to do. And then I just started pulling things like, oh, well, I can coordinate logistics for conferences. I can host community conversations. I can do youth fit. Like I just, it was just like crazy. I just started making things up. And that kind of went on for a year. During that time, I did uh, coordinate two national mental health conferences. So something great came out of that. Wow. In that process, I met the president and CEO of the Pinellas County Urban League rest in peace. He just passed away recently, but he was like an angel for my life because I met him. He's like, Hey, I like your work. I want you to do some design for me. And I did a couple of things. He liked it. And in that process, I was just having a really hard time at my job. And I'm like, you know what? I'm done. I'm leaving. I have some savings saved up. And my jewelry business is still providing Support, so I'm out of here. And I left with no real plan. Two weeks later, the pandemic happened. <laughs> mm. And now everyone's like, I'm like, I don't know. I have faith. God's going to handle it. Like, I'm okay. And I just remember praying and saying like, hey, I just need like six weeks, six weeks of rest. So I went over to Dubai. And then as soon as I came back, that's when we went and stay at, was a stay-at-home order. You went to Dubai? I did. After the pandemic hit? Well, it was in the very early stages when we weren't taking it seriously. So 
So I'm just going to go to Dubai. See ya. Yeah. <laughs> so I went and then I got up my best friend and I, we get there and we're like, oh, they're already wearing masks. Maybe we're not taking it too serious in America right now. So we get back. We get back on a Monday. And that Friday, they stopped all flights from Florida to Dubai. So I'm like, we barely made it home. Wow. Then Saturday, Pinellas County went under stay-at-home order. I think the whole Tampa Bay at that time may have gone under stay-at-home order. So I'm like, well, I got my last bit of travel out. <laughs> I don't know what this is going to happen. And then I just remember just spending that time um, hiking, enjoying nature, just, you know, like just just resting. And then six weeks later, I get a call from the Urban League and they're like, hey, we're looking for a marketing person. And I'm like, you are? Because I didn't realize that uh, <laughs> I, w- I had a marketing business. <laughs> And I was like, however, you know, I can learn. And so I went, I got my digital marketing certificate and then I started doing marketing for them. And then I get another call from the COO. She's like, hey, do you teach classes? And I'm like, I can't, what am I teaching? And she's like, oh, branding. And at the time I'm like, never heard of it. I don't even know the difference between branding and marketing, but I can research it and I can teach. And I started teaching small businesses and I started coaching them and doing all of this stuff. And then I needed a space after kind of like we kind of like, you know, everything started to open back up. I needed a space and I went and I looked for um, a small office space for like two people. And the lady in the building, she's like, oh, well, here's this space, but I have another space that you might like. And I'm like, "Okay." So she shows it to me. She's like, it's been empty for a year. And it was double the price of what it was (laughs) of my budget. But I heard this still small voice like, get it. And I'm like, what? God, what? You want me to get, are you kidding? No way you want me to get this. Oh, this is the funny part. So the lady's like, she's a great salesman, by the way. She's like saleswoman. She's like, well, I heard you say your team is having a meeting this weekend. Why don't you guys meet here? Give them the puppy. They'll never give it back. So we meet there and then it's like, yeah, we're not leaving. This isn't <laughs> we're saying. And then I just kept thinking, like, how in the world am I going to pay for this? Like, then we started talking and we're like, oh, we can make it a co-work space. Because at the time, that was like the thing. Um, and it's like, oh, we can make it a co-work space. And I decided to create the Breakthrough Co-work Space for Women just to help women business owners grow and provide the support that I didn't have. Mm-hmm. And then right in the midst of that, I signed this really large contract with the Urban League. And so they were paying for free coaching, free photo shoots, all of these things for small businesses. So now this place is a co-work space, a studio. I mean, like it's just this incubator <laughs> for small businesses. And I have to say that happened way too fast for me. The acceleration, the success happened faster than my brain could process, Mm. which led to me overworking myself, which led me to literally being in therapy every single week just to manage. Because now I have this huge team. I'm used to just being mean. And not only do I have a huge team, that year, my business helped 105 small businesses. That's great. Congratulations, Paige. Good for you. Because I not only did I had a contract with the Urban League, I had a contract with the city of St. Pete as well. And they were doing something very similar. And so, um, and everyone just kept calling. And I was just like, yeah, sure. We have the capacity. We can do this. And then in the process, it's like people wanted to do articles on me and they wanted to feature me and all of these things. And believe it or not, I'm an extroverted introvert. So I can be the life of the party, but I also can be the wallflower. Mm -hmm. So for me, that was overwhelming. I found myself just giving too much of myself to the world and I didn't have anything left over for myself. And so now I tell people just move slow, move slow, because if you move fast, the faster you climb the ladder, the faster you fall. And so for me, that was very challenging because it was it was just hard for me to manage all of this newness, all of these new personalities, and then all of these clients, and then all of these people wanting to, to work with me and feature me. And it's like, I just want to go home and sit in and turn everything off. Yeah. So then I found myself going on vacation just to breathe. To get away because there's no other way to do that. Other, You have to remove yourself from the situation. Completely. And 
I mean, I was working 16 hour days and I'm like, I'm just one person. I mean, all these people depending on me for a paycheck and it was just extremely overwhelming. And so I had to make some changes. I had some staff that I just had to fire because it just wasn't working. And then I just had to like reevaluate, like, what is it that I really want to do? And am I doing this for me? Am I doing this for others? So I remember the beginning of 2022, I remember my pastor preaching a sermon. He's like, this year is going to be the year of more with less. And I was like, I like, (laughs) I want to do more with less. And so I stopped taking on grant funded programs and really just focused on taking on large clients that kept me on a retainer. So I was able to literally only have three clients and still make the same amount that I was making with all of these businesses through grant funded programming. And so that really helped me to discover the joy in life and find that balance between entrepreneurship and life. Because a lot of time it just spills over. I think that it, as stressful as that situation was, it was a great experience for you and what you do so that you can impart that on others or and have that, you know, maybe preempt them. But also if once they're in it, be like, oh, I was there and here's here's what we can do. Like someone who's thinking about grant, like that's something myself as a business owner has thought about, like, you know, the money's sitting there. So tell to speak to someone who might feel like they want to go down that grant pathway and what your your experience was. So if you're getting grants just for your business specifically, that's fine. That's perfect. Um, for me as a service provider, allowing the grants to pay me to provide services for others was a bad idea for me. Because with grants, they're never going to pay you your full rate. It's always going to be a negotiated rate. And then it's always a problem with getting your money. It's like, I didn't give you any issue providing services to your client. Why are you giving me me my money? So it would always be all of these stipulations. So, I mean, there were times where I did not get paid, but I still had to pay my staff. And then they were always changing the requirements. Oh, boy. And so that made it really difficult for me to use that as one part of the business and then do other things, I was always just focused on this grant. So I would say, just be very aware of what the stipulations are, what the requirements are, and how frequent do they change? This particular grant changed probably every three months. You know, one thing was acceptable and now this isn't acceptable. Oh, we needed this documentation. Oh, we don't need that anymore. It was just a headache. So, I mean, this had me up at three, five o'clock in the morning trying to make sure our invoices were correct with the new guidelines to make sure we actually get paid because this was not, you know, a little bit of money. This was a lot of money. And so when I'm not getting paid and I'm still having to float this money to my staff, those are the things that kept me up at night. They made me anxious. I literally would wake up in the middle of the night like, wait, what am I supposed to be doing? Who needs me? What's going on? And that gives you the worst imposter syndrome in the world. Mm. Start questioning, can I even do this? Should I be doing this? And I'm on Indeed like, hmm, I think I can go back to work now. And I don't think I want to do this anymore. And then I'm on Indeed and I'm looking and I'm like, I don't want to report to anybody. (laughs) (laughs) This doesn't give me enough freedom. And so then it's then, then you just go back and say, okay, let's go to the drawing board. How can we make this work? So for me, Now I have decided to just change some things around for my business. Before I was doing business coaching and branding. Now I just do brand and marketing. When startups come to me, I refer them to someone else. Um, It's just something I don't want to do anymore. I like to really specialize in the creative aspects of business. So doing the brand photo shoots and those type of things, that's what makes me excited. And also, I just don't want to do everything. So I hired a remote team. So now I have a remote team working and doing designing for me. And locally, I'm working with a photographer and a content creator so they can take on that part of the business. And all I really have to do is just create, be the creative director, tell people what to do. And so, and for my space, for the the breakthrough, things have changed so much as far as like co-work space. So I just started, I'm, I'm really big on looking at needs. What do people need? 
So I realized entrepreneurs need a place to record content. And so it's like, I have this amazing space with all its colors and murals and all these things. Let's make it a place for entrepreneurs to record their podcasts, to do photo shoots, to do content. So I look forward to this new, just repurposing, not even repurposing what I already have to meet the needs of the group of people I'm already serving. That's awesome. Yeah, I love your story. I think like what I hear most, not only through, you know, 23 and beyond when you like had the entrepreneur seizure and decided to become a business owner, but also before you were 23, the word the word that comes up a lot in entrepreneurship for me is resilience. And I always say I own a business too. And so I always say the difference between a business that stays in business and a business that goes out of business is when the person decides to give up. Yeah. Because you've had to reinvent yourself and your business. I heard like three or four times in, yes. <laughs> in, in a short period of time. You got to learn how to pivot if this is what's working, what's not working. And so you are extremely resilient. And, and I love how you're like, yeah, I went back to Indeed and I, I felt like, God, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm up in the middle of the night. I feel your pain, Paige. I I get it. I get that. I'm going to just take on a job. It'd be so much easier if I just reported to somebody else and they paid me a check and it was consistent and I could rely on it. Oh, wait, I got to ask for time off. (laughs) Oh, wait a second. I'm not in charge of my schedule anymore. Oh, wait, I don't get to decide what happens around here. You know, so that's the trade-off, right? And the trade-off is, I think you have to be willing to say, all right, I can't work. 14 and 16 hour days. That's not good for me. And I can't recommend that to anyone else. So how do I figure this out so I could teach others? I love your story. So a couple of things that I think our listeners might be curious about through your story. Do you mind if I ask you a couple of things? Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Um, I mean, first of all, I see you and I and I see I see this vibrant, uh, happy being, but I understand depression too. And that's a, that's a, something we have to work hard at to keep at bay to keep the positivity in our head and the people we surround ourselves and what we do for a living is so important. And your dad's story about you having to, you know, you're 13 years old, he gets out of jail and now you have to almost be an observer in his life. Here you were, the adult in your family, not with the dad. You were kind of acting a little bit as the other parent. We don't know why your dad went to jail. I don't know if you want to share that. Oh, I can share. Share if you want, but also like, I'm just curious how, it felt like that was part of your aha moment as a child. And then, of course, your aha moment as an adult was when your grandpa told you, hey, you know, he gave you those words of wisdom that made you say, I need to do this. Like, you're right, grandpa, I need to do this. So, yeah, if you could, if you just want to maybe expand on that a little bit and then tell us, you know, now it seems like you had a big staff and now you're like, nope, remote people. I need to like kind of have independent contractors. They can be responsible for themselves. So now you have pure joy doing what you love. And that's what you're teaching other people. Like, I love to create. I don't like all the other admin stuff that bogged me down. So I'm just going to create. And you figured that out. That's awesome. Yeah. Um. So as far as my dad, it was like drug related. You know, back in the 80s, that's, that was the thing. That's what almost everyone probably went to prison for, <laughs> drugs. <laughs> right. It was just, unfortunately, it was in a school zone. So, you know, that comes with a much higher, it's just based on where his house was. Wow. But that, um, for me, was a challenge because I had my ideas of what my father was going to be or who he was going to be in my life. And I just, because of the things I went through, I just felt like he was going to be my refuge. Like he was going to get out of the prison and he was going to take custody of me. And then we were just going to have this life. And that wasn't true. And so for me, I had to shatter that expectation of who I thought he was supposed to be and just accept who he was. And it has been a challenge. Um, We have gone back and forth (laughs) about, you know, what that looks like. What does our father-daughter relationship look like? And I think we're, we're finally figuring it out. We have a really great relationship now, but that hasn't always been. And it just took a lot of give and take on both of our parts to really figure this thing out. And I think that helped me in my healing journey. Because finally getting my dad to see things from my point of view and not think I'm selfish or anything like that, but to truly understand my heart and for him to apologize for that, that for me, I think contributes to the joy I have now. Because now I'm 
holding on to that piece. And I'm also not looking for the love of my father and men. So now, you know, like me not being married is okay because I'm not looking for someone to heal me Mm -hmm. because we were able to work through that. It's so great. So that's that piece. And then I think as far as, and that contributed to my depression, it contributed to me not feeling like I was worthy. And so anyone who's listening, you know, if you're having an issue with a parent, I think the best way to do it, like therapy is great, but part of that healing is like facing it head on and saying everything that you need to say. And even if they're not receptive to that, knowing that you said what you needed to say to move on. Mm -hmm. And I held on to that for so long. And it was actually not until 2020 that we were able to like, just really get everything out. And so that just really impacted these last couple of years of my life and allowed me to one, stop settling for things that just were not worth my time. Um, Whether it's having staff members who just were like, you know, taking my money or, you know, getting clients that just weren't, that didn't value what they were receiving or all of those different things, partners that didn't value the relationship we had. So and that just helped me a lot. And then therapy really, really changed my life. A lot of people think, and this is the funny thing, I was an Arab advocate for therapy, but I wouldn't go myself. <laughs> But I finally decided, hey, I'm going and not only am I going to go, but I'm going to go as long as I need to go. And so for an entire year, I went to therapy weekly and I had the most amazing therapist who just really she was just so real. I and, And she would always just tell me when I was wrong and told me when you know, just help me troubleshoot life. And then it got to the point where it's like, I'm fine, but I like these conversations because as a CEO, there are things I can't talk to my friends about. So let's talk. And so I think really embracing therapy for more than just getting healing, but embracing it as part of my self-care, that really helps bring joy as well. And um, I just started purging so many things. I actually, this is the first interview I've done in a year because I didn't want to do interviews. I didn't want to bring any attention to my business at all. I just wanted to be under the radar. I wanted to work with the clients that I had. And I just didn't want to be in the spotlight and stop posting on social media. Like people are literally like, are you okay? And then I said, well, you know, I'm fine. Life is great. And so I will say for the person who is the entrepreneur who thinks that being featured and having all the followers and all of that means something to your business. It's an added bonus, but it doesn't make or break your success. It it doesn't determine whether or not you're moving in the right direction. I honestly, now I give advice and tell people don't share too much about you. Share just enough. Um, we have people as soon as they get off a call, it's like, hey, I just talked to the CEO of the partner. Don't don't say that. Like, tell them after the partnership has happened, (laughs) you know? And so for me, I think the joy that I have is because I went through all of these challenges that taught me to be quiet when I need to be quiet, celebrate when I need to celebrate, and truly just take it one day at a time. I don't have to look at someone's chapter 15 and feel like I need to be there if I'm only on chapter two. Mm-hmm. Relish in chapter two, enjoy chapter two because chapter 15 will come if you remain consistent. And so for me, when I was like, hey, I'm going, I'm, I'm quitting, I'm going back to work for someone, and I had to think about it. Well, think about all the time you invest in working for someone else. If you take that same energy and put it into your business, your business will be successful. And so it does come with the pivoting, it does come with it's really sitting and thinking, why am I doing this? And if it's something that you don't want to do because you are the business owner, you can say, I don't want to do this anymore and just don't do it anymore. And so I had to stop caring about what people thought. And I just had to start making choices for what was going to be best for my business. So now I'm actually trying to remove myself from the forefront of my business. I want my business to be able to operate independent of me. And so now I don't have to be at the forefront of everything. I I look forward to going back to doing more motivational speeches, to really promoting my book and doing all of those things. And that requires my brand and marketing business to kind of operate on its own with my staff and, you know, me kind of being the 
the person that gets you set up and then my staff does the rest. And then I can spend more time doing the things I really love. Not that I don't like brand and marketing, but I'm so passionate about people becoming the best versions of themselves. I'm so passionate about people overcoming mental health challenges and living in their truth. And so those are the things that I want to focus on now. But I still want people to have amazing brands too. (laughs) (laughs) And I just realized I don't have to be at the forefront of that business. That's really beautiful. Yeah, that's awesome. Paige, I just want to mention something you said early on about your family and thinking like, I had to have been adopted because this this is not my family. It's funny, but also I think we've there have been a couple of people that we've interviewed that they knew like early who they are. Like I was not one of those people when I was a kid, but you knew, you knew then who you are. And th- as I said, there were a couple of other people that we've interviewed that have said that about themselves. And it just really amazes me to have that wherewithal about who you are. And yeah, of course you get tripped up. You, you know, you take a side road this way or that way because it's familiar and it's probably part of your family or whatever it is. But in the, in the end, you, you always come back to who your true essence is. And I just love that you knew that early on. And that's really been your, your guide, I think, throughout your life. And you can you can say that it's divine, and maybe it's maybe it's that's that's what the role that God has played in your life, you know. And, and maybe He put that knowing She put that knowing in you. <laughs> but I love I love that. I really I picked up on that, and I and I love it. Yeah, I can say um, I tell people all the time if they don't believe me, I'm like, guys, the person I am now, I've always been this person. Like since I was one years old, I promise I've always been this person. And I'm like, I've always been this aware. I just, I just know things. I've always been super um, mature for my age. Just always, I've just always known. And so I do believe, like I tell people like, you know, I've known God my entire life. Like I come from a religious family. So, I mean, at two years old, I was, you know, reciting the Lord's prayer. I've been in my, in church my whole life, but I've always just had this level of connection, this relationship. So for me, no one had to, you know, as an adult, introduce, you know, God to my life. It was, I already knew. I just already knew and had that relationship. It's stronger now. But as a kid, that has always been like my guide, always just been my guide of like, I know God is watching. I know he's, you know, listening to me. And so for me, the power of prayer has been important since I was a kid. It's not something I just started doing now. And I've been praying since I was two. And so anytime I found myself in trouble or I needed guidance, it always went back to prayer. And so I have to say that, you know, that relationship has been the reason that I am able to overcome all the things that I overcome, that I'm able to still smile and have joy because I literally have known God my entire life. And so that has, that has just helped me. It has helped center me, even in the darkest moments. Even there have been times where I'm like, God, clearly you don't exist. Because why am I going through these things? And then I'm like, I'm not going to believe in you anymore. Like, I'm not going to serve you. I'm not going to church. I'm not going to do anything. And that lasts for like two days. Because, <laughs> because like, imagine having your best, best, closest friend that you've known since birth, and you literally telling yourself, I'm not going to talk to you anymore. And you may not talk to them for 30 seconds or maybe two days. And it's like texting them, hey, what are you doing? That's (laughs) how I feel about God. But he's been there my entire life. Even in in the darkest moments, I still have to talk to him. I still have to because that's all I know. Paige, this has been so incredible. I know that women are going to listen to this. And, and maybe men, we, we think men listen to our <laughs> podcast too. And they're going to get so much out of this because you said it earlier on, you're not going to wear the abuse. You're not going to, that's not going to be your identity. You're going to be your true self who's full of joy and full of like confidence in herself. And you're going to bring that out. And you're going to work on that. I have one last question for you. Yes. What would you tell that seven-year-old that was sitting there with her mom 
when her mom was talking about being pregnant, knowing your dad's in jail, and she's talking about having your sister, but giving her away. What would you tell that little seven-year-old now? Oh, man, you want to make me cry. (laughs) No, I don't. I don't want to make you cry. And if it's too painful, you don't have to answer it. Oh, no, it's not. It's not. Okay. I I can say I've been uh, like truly healed from all the things I've gone through. I'm a (laughs) crybaby. We are too. You'll get us going. (laughs) I cry when I'm happy. I just, I just cry and I'm, I love crying. That's crazy. That's awesome. But I would tell the seven-year-old that you are stronger than you'll ever know. Mm. And you are powerful beyond measure. And you will, you, you don't underestimate yourself and you are an influencer. I remember my pastor told me like, you have the gift of influence. Like people want to listen to you. I would tell that seven-year-old, use your influence. And that's, I feel like that's what I do with my mom. You, I can't say that I was the deciding factor, but I was trying to use my (laughs) (laughs) seven-year-old. You know, with you telling your seven-year-old self, use your influence. Your seven-year-old self knows exactly what that means. If you told my seven-year-old self, use your influence, I'd be like, I have no idea what you're talking about. It's just, it's fascinating to me. It's great. I love it. (laughs) All right, Patty, tell our listeners how people can reach out to Paige. Of course, you can find Paige on her website, which is www.beyourbestyoullc.com. And you could also find her at www.pagetucker.com. And we spell her name P-A-I-G-E-T-U-C-K-E-R.com. And you can find her on social media at at Paige Tucker Inc. And at Be Your Best U-L-L-C. Paige, it has been so awesome to, you know, be with you. I definitely want to get your book and uh, Kira and I can maybe meet up with you and I'll get it signed. Yeah. Actually, if you come by my office in Largo, I have books there. Oh, even better. (laughs) We will take a road trip so that we can come get signed books. That would be awesome. That would be great. Pidge, you have such great energy. You are a light. And I really, we really appreciate you joining us today. Thank you. I I appreciate you all for having me, truly. We hope this podcast has inspired and empowered you to overcome what might be holding you back from living your best life. If you love this podcast, please share it with a woman you know who needs a little empowerment. Now go out in the world and be bold, be brave, be you. Perfectly imperfect you. With love, Kara and Patty. If you say what you want to say And let the words fall out Honestly, I want to see you be brave I just want to see you I just want to see you just want to see you I want to see you be brave Start over. <laughs> Let's start over, Des. Mixed and edited by Desmond McNeese. Or we mixed it, LLC. Go to whatsoundsawesome.com. We want to avoid having the good stuff come out before we actually start.